With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. To the continuing study of uh, Daniel and the chronological method, um, of which we'll, we always have something to say about during our lesson. Um, and this is the 8th of September, and it's... Um, it's a good day to be studying the Bible, and I'd like to have uh, Brother David Traxler uh, give us our introduction this morning, and then we'll carry on with our class. As well, we Neil, I just do. wanted to emphasize that these lessons are so vital today, particularly today, for a solid and sure hope, because a lot of our religious folks in Christendom are focused, and the materialist are focused on a false, empty hope based on a future fulfillment of these prophecies. And if what Neil is saying cannot be verified and cannot be substantiated and cannot be documented, then we have a real problem with Christianity. Because Jesus said that all of these things would, would, would be fulfilled in his lifetime. So now we put Jesus under question if we do not accept this rendition of prophecy of the book of Daniel. So that's why I'm stating today in introduction how important and vital these lessons are about establishing a criteria of the fulfillment of prophecy as proclaimed in the scriptures. And if you have some other opinion than what's proclaimed by scripture, you need to question it. Thank you, David. I agree with that. <clears throat> as a matter of fact, uh, what I was going to say in my introduction is was uh, similar to thinking. Really, what I've come to over the years is that the study of the New Testament would be impossible without an understanding of the time that had passed before. Amen. Um, and yet, we have many folks that are <laughs> living and saying just the opposite. Um, I've heard it yelled out from the pews that we don't need the Old Testament. We have the new. Well, that's silly. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I mean, these things just need to be understood. Now, we don't ask every, anyone to agree with any sort of leverage or bad feelings. We're just looking at it together, and hopefully these things will be uh, evident through the scriptures. One more thing on that, which just is what you just said, that, that that's true. But I've asked people, you know, if you don't agree with this analysis, 
that seems to be the dominant position of the scriptures, then you have to present your position and even one will turn the tide. You know, have, have a proof text that you understand that applies to today rather than having been fulfilled in Jesus' time when he said all things prophesied would be fulfilled in that period. I just want to see one argument, and I haven't heard one yet. I, that's very true, David. I'm, you know, my wife was a school teacher, retired now, but one of her early principals told her when she was hired, don't come to me with a problem unless you come also with the solution to the problem. Yeah. So I, I think this is kind of, uh, this is a, something we need to take personal responsibility for. If we're going to disagree, we have to have a scriptural reason why we disagree. Um, it may take us a couple weeks to find it. When you find it, then to present it. But just disagreement uh, in itself means very little um, to anyone, actually. Although, um, as, as we go through these things, uh, I think this chronological look is important not only in Daniel, but throughout the Bible. You know, uh, I've had a lot of time uh, helping students from around the world understand the Bible uh, with a, a Bible study course that we, I've been involved with. And, you know, one of the, the big problem, the number one problem with people is that they don't know where they're at from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation. They have no idea of the chronology. And sometimes the more they read, the more they look at it, the more confused they are. You have to have in your mind at least a simple outline of where things are going. You know, from Adam and Eve, who's next? You need to be able to have these things in order because people will simply ask you, uh, well, when did the flood happen, or when did Abraham live, or, you know, all of these different questions. It's nice to be at least within a couple hundred year time frame, uh, probably even better. So I think it's important because uh, not only is it helpful to us personally, but I really think this is what is lacking. One of the big things that's lacking in the world of Christendom, I know it's lacking. And worse than that, people don't seem to care about it. Uh, we have a lot of folks that have two or three verses in their head, and that's what they're going with. Well, that's not going to really work uh, in, in a life that's lived. I, I don't understand why the general rules for researching anything, college papers or personal projects, journalism, any, whatever you want to research, I don't understand why those rules are so, are so cemented and leave the, the writer open to such ridicule if he doesn't follow them. And that's, that's the way it is. Yet when it comes to this, when it comes to the work of God on the earth, through his creation, anything goes and whatever you want to do is okay, just as long as you believe. And the Bible even you know, it exposes that thinking, clearly. But it doesn't matter. 
just push it out of the way. I don't like that part. But yet it's not acceptable in anything else, even, even the roads we drive on when we leave this building. Automatically we're following the rules again. But when it comes to the Word and God, it's anything goes, whatever you like, that's good enough. What I'm, what I'm hearing is, I think, I was told, and I heard, doesn't apply. You have to have substantiated your position, just like everything else, uh, with facts. And those facts are in God's Word. And that's last week in my message uh, during the General Assembly, we talked about the word know or knowledge. And that's why the Greeks, they knew there was more than one way you can know something. Now, in America, that we, we have one, one word and one way of thinking, but it's not accurate. Um, we, we don't know as we should know. And that is what the scriptures are beautiful in doing. It teaches us to know exactly uh, as things uh, really are. Um, so, um, I, I appreciate those comments, and uh, but I, I think it uh, as we continue on, uh, every part of and you know I was going to say it, it's more than just Daniel, you know, we have a, this same thing in in various forms uh, in Isaiah, Ezekiel. We have a lot of these things we could go. We'd never get done. We'd never really stop. If we just went from Daniel and reached out to the rest of the Bible, we'd find ourselves in a, in a full Bible study every day of every week because it's all there and it all fits together. Yeah. And a lot of these things in secular history, too. And you've been doing a really good job of grabbing those and pulling them in when they're applicable. So, uh, you know, you can confirm those facts that are in the Bible with secular history and at a lot of, a lot of points going through. And you've been doing real well with that, and I appreciate that, Neil. And we have to, we have to use that. More, more so it's the other way around. Yeah. But you've got to realize that folks that do not understand the Bible, if they have a good working education of history, uh, these are the points they're going to know. When you start filling in things that are Bible into their knowledge, of historical rulers, kingdoms, and all, then it comes becomes a real to them. Uh, and that's why the Bible isn't real. Like I was going to say, anything religious in this world, if you ask anybody, religion is governed by our emotions and how we see it. But we can't get away with that in any other discipline that, that in the world that we live in. I'm sure glad my doctors don't go by that discipline. I want them to learn everything about what happened before with what my problem is so they can help me today. That's what the Bible does. It helps us today, every day, if we'll let it. Okay. Well, that, that's good. I, I think this is a good, just like last week, we had good conversations, we had good ones today as to the, uh, the relevance of all of this, is it necessary? Is it true? Well, um, God's word is true. Jesus said it was. He said everything God said was true. And he ought to know. So uh, everything we're looking at here is 
God's own truth, but we have to look at it pretty carefully to understand it many times. So as we left off last week in chapter 11, and as you know, chapter 11 is actually, I would consider it chapter 10, because 11, or chapter 10 follows 11 in the chronological look. Um, the uh, uh, Darius, uh, when we go to uh, Daniel 11, 1 through 5, Okay, in the first year of Cyrus, and we're going to find that in chapter 10, it's the third year of, of um, Cyrus. Yeah, in the third year of Cyrus. So we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty clear on putting these chapters. See, we're trying to order them as the revelation was, came about, keeping that in order. Um, we would get the same information if we didn't, but I think it's kind of interesting and a real learning tool to put these things in order. Neil, I have a really quick question and was even asked to ask it, but what caused the compiler to organize the books in Daniel the way that they're printed in our Bibles? Is there a, a reason... Well, we got to understand that these chapters and verses didn't exist in any of the original writings. Uh, now, what, was Daniel written from first word to last in the exact order we find it in our English Bibles? I don't know. But it could have been. You know, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, I've never read anybody that gave an answer. Uh, but, you know, when you have things like we in chapters 10 and 11, uh, by the way, in 11, I, most of our Bibles say in the first year of Darius. Um, matter of fact, is it Darius the Mede in most of our... Yes. In the English Bible, say in the first year of Darius the Mede. You see, that, uh, of course, designates exactly who that person is. And then in the next chapter, it's actually chapter 10, it starts in the third year of Cyrus, who was uh, also reigning uh, in the first year of Darius. As I've pointed out through this, they were co-regent. Uh, the Medes and the, and the Persians were working together in this kingdom. Eventually, the Persians became dominant. But the influence of the Medes had a great influence on them both culturally, and I might even say religiously, uh, the, the Medes were the, uh, had a concept of God that was as close to the Hebrew thinking as anyone was. It still was not there, but at least they had an idea. You've got to remember these people were from the area of where the people first migrated from the flood. That's where the Medes lived. That was their homeland. Another thing, Nolan, is that <clears throat> tying that together is chapter 10. <clears throat> chapter 10 is the focus is Daniel. Okay. Yeah. Chapter 11, it's secular history. So it's thematic. 
that, that was going to be my my what I, my my point as well. The book, when we went through it on our Thursday night, it seemed you're dealing with prophetic language, but it it flowed so poetically. It there was excitement that really catches your eye in the beginning, and with Meshach, Meshach and Abednego, and that flows on through to the visions and these incredible things that were seen and were told. There's there is a, a flow that uh, the of storytelling that follows around, you know, in the book of Daniel. It's it's you know it's it's capturing. And we we forget that Daniel's not just just a person, he was a very well-known person in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Now, if we look at Ezekiel, we find Daniel is considered uh, a wise man such as Noah, yeah. Daniel, and who was the other one? Um, there was three. Um, anyway, and Ezekiel lived during the time, it was, it was a prophet during the time frame of Daniel, the lifetime of Daniel. Um, he was living in captivity. Um, Daniel was the, since his early days, uh, under Nebuchadnezzar, was one of the most powerful men in the world. The, or, the organization that he had to uh, control, um, you would think would take a lot more than one man could ever do. Well, he had a lot of help, of course. But still, all of that, and then he's doing this too. And all of that he's doing for the kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, and then the Medo-Persian kingdom, he's still concerned about his people, the captives. And Daniel lived to see the captives released to go back home. He didn't go back. A lot of Jews didn't go back. Uh, Daniel was probably felt he could do more where he was for his people. So... Just we just keep reminding ourselves of the time period, what's going on in the world, who Daniel is. Uh, he's not an obscure prophet up on a mountain somewhere writing these things down. Uh, and that's what we have to remember, and that's why I think Daniel's so important to the Jewish people, because not only was he a prince of uh, from the tribe of Judah. Uh, living within the, uh, uh, the palace area in Jerusalem when he was captured. Uh, but he became this to the Babylonian Empire and, and the Medo-Persian, the right-hand man of the, uh, of the king, you might say. And an advisor to the Medes and the Persians, too. And the, an advisor, of, and to say nothing of his... his uh, visions and interpretations that God had had known not only to the Jews but to the, the people of those kingdoms. So this that's why this is so critical. If we're saying if we say we're a Christian, we need to know why there is a Christian. We need to know why there was a Christ. If if we don't know this history, we wouldn't have any idea why we need a Savior who Christ is, we would have no clue. And not only that, we'd make up, there'd be a thousand stories, there is now, but there would be a thousand stories that were would be no way to argue against any of them because we wouldn't know. But God has not left us that way. We're not orphans in this world. 
He has left his word, and through it, it's a document. It's a declaration from God of man and his relationship to his God all the way through to the end of the first covenant. That's what we find in our Bibles, Old and New Testament. So in Daniel 11, if we look at the first five verses again, And in the first year of, it says Cyrus and the Septuagint, but it's the Darius, the Mede, um, both the same as far as their first year, stood to strengthen and confirm him. And now I will tell thee the truth. Okay, now you see a vision is starting. Because when we see the word truth, the truth, We have to understand that the truth comes from one source, and that's God. Now, we can repeat the truth, but it didn't come from us. This this is coming from God. Behold, there shall rise up three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be uh, very far richer than all, and after that he is master of his wealth. He shall rise up against all the kingdoms of the Greeks, and there shall rise up a mighty king, and he shall be lord of a great empire, and shall do according to his will. And his kingdom shall stand up, it shall be broken, and shall be divided to the four winds of heaven. Now that's uh, a, uh, those words there are all symbolic of of men and the things that they did and who they were. Alexander the Great, and before that his father Philip um, is is really got to be taken into this account, but the four winds are the four generals that end up with the four major divisions. Because it goes on to say, but not to his posterity, which is his... Uh, his sons and daughters and his family. In other words, the four winds inherit his kingdom, not his family. Mm -hmm. Nor according to his dominion, which he ruled over, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and given to others beside these. All right. Knowing what we know, 2,000 plus years later, yeah, and to recognize that this was not his dominion. This was given to him. Yeah. So we, we notice that there, there aren't any names given here. No. So That's people true. would await these things. But, you know, you wouldn't have to be the sharpest uh, knife in the drawer, I think, to start picking out who these people are if you lived uh, just after the time of Alexander. You, you would have known about these Persians and things of that sort, you could have started putting it together. And find your place. And we need to find our place. And we're looking back at these things. But we see these things really happen. And then verse 5, the last one, And a king of the south shall be strong. And that was Ptolemy the first, Soter as he was called. And one of their princes shall prevail against him and shall obtain a great dominion. And on and on it goes after that. Now we look at the time frame here, 538 B.C., thereabouts. 
Um, 2, verse 5 here, it ends up with us looking at the, the uh, four winds or the four generals of Alexander and more to the point, the northern and southern kingdom as it be really, really worked out uh, within a few years, they were dominant. And of course, the, the uh, northern kingdom, the Seleucia kingdom, and the Ptolemy kingdom of Egypt and the kingdom to the south. Mm -hmm. uh, so it takes us from 538 B.C. to 323 B.C., which is, the, uh, is actually the death of Alexander. Uh, the kingdoms really weren't formed very well until about 320, the way history has it recorded. But still, this is the time period. That's quite a little span of time there. The Persian kingdom was a, a fairly long-lived kingdom, much longer than the Babylonian kingdom. And this drops us right into the Maccabean period, correct? And the Maccabees follow this uh, as we get into the uh, under just another century on. Um, uh, of course, the Maccabees being the, uh, the Jewish people, mostly the Pharisees of, of the day, along with uh, some of the priests and, and the loyalists, those that would, did not want to become a Greek, uh, uh, nothing more than a Greek vassal in Israel. They wanted to maintain their Judaism, their religion, and all. And that's why the Maccabees fought back against the, the total immersion of the Jews into the Greek world. Uh, the Greek influence, and they, they had a lot of influence, and it's evident in archaeology, by the way, um, just how much of an influence they had over those number of years. So a lot of living in those five short verses, uh, we, we find lots and lots of living. But, you know, the Bible is, is replete with things like this. Let's, let's look at, this is... As David said, this is free. Uh, I want to let you look at Second Chronicles, chapter 36, verse 20 and 21. You want to see how quick some, some things can happen in a couple verses? Yeah, Second Chronicles, chapter 36, verse 20. talking about the history uh, of the Jews in, in uh, Israel, Jerusalem, right towards the end, just before the captivity, and then it says this, And them that had escaped from the sword, that is the sword of the Babylonians, uh, carried he away to Babylon. And they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. Well, we got quite a little span right in there, don't we? Uh, a good 70 years. To fulfill the word of Jehovah by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths for as long as it lay desolate, it kept the Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. See, that was one of the violations of the Jews. They had ignored the Sabbaths, the, the resting of the land. So 
You see, within those verses, we see, or actually verse 20, we see 70 years go by at a snap of a finger. Uh, and all that Daniel did and saw and wrote and everything is all in there, along with all the, the, the kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, the, the buildup of the Persians uh, until they, they finally defeated the Babylonians. So much living in what? One verse? Mm-hmm. And then we see the second verse expanding on the details of that 70 years. As I said, God doesn't leave us hanging. It's all there, but you've got to pick it out. You've got to find it, and you've got to make sure you don't take it out of context. The context of that is very clear. If you want to read Chronicles, it's one chronicle after another concerning Israel, uh, Judah and Jerusalem and, and, and the ten tribes north and all of it. It's, it's all in there. So, <clears throat> now, look at that fourth verse again in Daniel. Um, and when his kingdom shall stand up, it shall be broken. That's Alexander. And he shall be divided by the four winds of heaven. I want to read something here from uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the book written in Daniel from Kurt Simmons, which I think has got some very good historical things in it. And <clears throat> the author says that uh, he kind of lumps Alexander in with the... Uh, the the proverb in the New Testament uh, about the uh, in Luke 12, thou fool this night, uh, thy soul shall be required of thee, and and whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? In other words, at the height of his his kingdom, Alexander dies. I believe he was 33 years old, uh, thereabouts. Alexander no sooner conquered the world than he died, 323. And that, that, that date's pretty firm. Having conquered much of India, he proposed to push further east to conquer the people dwelling beyond the Ganges. But you see, his army rebelled. They were tired of going into uh, the unknown, if you will. And there was a lot of unknown out there. So at the end of it, they returned back and they went to Babylon. Uh, he was planning to making, uh, um, making Babylon his captive. So he returned there, and he gave himself up to drinking and reviling with the captains of his armies. And after a drinking bout one night, Alexander took ill. Some believe from poison. Could he have been assassinated? Oh, probably 99 chances out of 100 in those days. That, but you see, he gave up his... He gave up his, uh, his good thinking and his sensibility when he started doing things like this, and this is what happened. He died several days afterwards. He was succeeded by a half-brother, Philip Andreas, uh, who was actually an illegitimate son, um, and as in Alexander's family. Alexander also had a pregnant wife, Roxana, in her sixth month, who later gave birth to Alexander's only legitimate heir, a son whom she named Alexander, 
Although the common soldier declared Alexander's uh, posthumous son king, actual power was held by Perdiccas, to whom Alexander had committed his signet in the hour of his death, his signet ring, his signet, it was the official stamp. Uh, and he controlled that, and under that we find the, the four generals coming forth. But, you know, in actuality, if we look at Alexander's kingdom that was unified under Alexander, you see, Alexander and his, his father, Philip, their whole idea of kingdom was unifying everyone around in you into one group. And their philosophy in war was to don't leave an enemy behind you. Leave a friend behind and move forward. And it worked very well for them. But in actuality, at the end of the day, there were 23 different mini-kingdoms established after, uh, within that, that Greek kingdom after that time. And, and I just think that's incredible. I think you can call that broken, right? Yeah, it's broken. Uh, you know, we think of the four generals, and in reality, that's what it became. And then it became pretty much just the two. The northern and southern kingdom became world empires in themselves. Uh, and they, they ruled with an iron fist until Rome started to move their direction. So we see these 23 kingdoms as the idea of this is a political uh, workings within the situation that Alexander left. When he left, it created a huge vacuum. Uh, his unborn son, his illegitimate brother, none of these, and his wife, none of this was going to work, and it didn't. Uh, and that's why he probably knew it, and he gave his signet ring to uh, the man I named there. So, uh, all these things happening. Now, why is any of this important? Well, it's important in, in light of um, how Alexander, how his generals, how did they affect the Jewish people? From the day they came, marched into Palestine and then on to, uh, on to conquer Babylon and then spread through, their, through the whole area, they had an effect on Israel for over 200 years. And that's why it's important. And that's why Daniel was told about these things. And that, that's why the Jewish people uh, need to know about these things too. And I'll guarantee you there's probably many, many folks living today from a physical background of Judaism that really don't understand their history. But God has given it to them. Now, Let's read the last verse in the Daniel 11, 45. Eleven forty, yeah, 44, 45. Um, <clears throat> these are talking about the battles, and, and we're moving all the way up here, believe it or not. We're moving all the way up here till the year... 44 B.C. You see, all the way through Alexander's kingdom, 
well, we started with the Persians, right, in chapter 11, and then went to Alexander, and then to the four generals, and then to the north and southern kingdom. And now, you see, we're getting into the adversary of those kingdoms. Um, and there's only one, and that's, and that's the Romans. There were other small ones, too, but they were, they were dispatched. But in verse 44 and 45, it says, But rumors and anxieties out of the east and from the north shall trouble him, and he shall come with great wrath to destroy many, and he shall pitch the tabernacle of his palace between the seas in the holy mountain of beauty, but he shall come to his portion, and there is none to deliver him. You see, this is why I feel that um, uh, chapter 10 follows this, even though it doesn't start at at the end of that verse. It goes back. Uh, But that hymn, at the death of who? Well, on our chart that I made up and uh, Brother Greg put together so nicely, uh, we have in chapter 11, we have it ending in 44 B.C. And it says J.C. died. Well, J.C. is uh, Gaius Julius Caesar. He's a Roman. Um, uh, in those days, a Roman general, if you will, um, although the, the empire had started, uh, he was the Caesar uh, but all the Caesars kind of started as generals. They had to become generals to be, become a Caesar. Uh, before him, um, Pompey, General Pompey in, in uh, 63 B.C., had conquered Israel for Rome, went down uh, and, uh, and uh, worked on the southern kingdom. He fought the northern kingdom, the Greeks, all the way through. Um, Rome was on their move. So we see here in 44 B.C., we see these as the, the early days uh, of the fourth beast of Daniel 7. Remember that fourth beast? The beast that Daniel kept asking about because this beast was so incredibly powerful and frightening. And he saw what that fourth beast did and how that fourth beast was uh, going to affect his his people, uh, and how they they uh, destroyed all those that had come before. So the fourth beast of Daniel seven. It's also the iron and clay feet and legs of the statue of Daniel chapter two. Same same uh, same thing. Uh, remember Daniel two is the was the dream given to Nebuchadnezzar. He saw it as a statue. Uh, He was kind of into those statues with a gold head. Uh, But that's what he saw. But Daniel sees animals in his vision in chapter 7. And the animals are representative of of the kingdoms, as we know. The same same kingdoms. In in verse 40? Mm -hmm. Yes. And, And at the end of the time? Yes. All right, now... The kings of the north, the king of the north and the king of the south, the two kings, 
have to come and be out of the way before the Messiah can come in Isaiah 7. That's right. That's right. Remember that. The and time of the end. So it's talked about the end of the time. Yeah. So it associates the end of the time with the coming of Christ. Right. And that's one of those uh, great proof text verses. Uh, the end of the time. It isn't a moment. It's a period of time. But it's the end of the time as far as Daniel's concerned. Yeah. The Jewish people. Your people. Your people. That, that's, when we see that, when we read that out of not understanding what's been happening all through here, why the end of time, we start thinking about our own time, don't we? But that, that's not what's being spoken of here. You might remember and there again in verse 35, manifested at the end of time. And this all has to do with the departure of the north and south kingdoms. Right. And uh, the New Testament never speaks about the end of time. No. It speaks about the end of the age. Mm-hmm. And the, the end of time, uh, or the, at that period of time, we're talking about the, the uh, southern kingdom. Uh, let's see, I have this written here somewhere. Um, oh, here it is. Um, the, uh, the northern kingdom came to an end at 63 B.C. And that was the work of Pompey from Rome. The southern kingdom, the work of uh, actually uh, not Julius Caesar, but his, his uh, follower, 30 B.C. Uh, was the end of the southern kingdom. So we see that these that two kingdoms from the east, right? Right, north and east. Yeah. Um, we see that 63 B.C. and 30 B.C. we have the total elimination of the Greek kingdoms. Now Rome is, is uh, dominant, making way for, as, as David said in verse 40, uh, the time of the end. And that's very important. Um, but you see how how all this is wrapping up. Well, let, let's read that verse 40 again because it has some other things in there that pertain to what we just read. Um, and at the end of the time, he shall conflict with the king of the south and the king of the north shall come against him with chariots. And that they, of course, they did. And with horsemen and with many ships and they shall enter into the land and he shall break in pieces and pass on. And he shall enter into the land of beauty. Now, what, what land would that be? That would be Jerusalem. Yeah, that would be Palestine, Palestine. Judea, you know. And many shall fail, but these shall escape out of his hands, Edom and Moab, Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. And he shall stretch forth his hand over the land, and the land of the Egypt shall not escape. And he shall have the mastery over the secret treasures of gold and silver and over the desirable possessions of Egypt and of the Libyans and the Ethiopians in their stronghold. And by the way, those secrets of Egypt were 
that was kind of uh, something people talked about all the time back then, uh, the secret treasures. But you see, this is talking about the, the Roman conquest of all of these things. And that's why it ends the way it does. And as far as history is recorded, um, Julius C uh, Gaius, Julius Caesar, is uh, pitches his tent, if you will, in, in the land, in the beautiful land, but he's assassinated about 44 B.C. This tabernacle that says that he's pitched, was that the temple they made to the god of Jupiter? Well, I forget. God, Jupiter was the god of of uh, Julius Caesar, mm -hmm. right? It, but it is. What is that? The, the tabernacle was, wasn't that destroyed? Um, we talked about its destruction as well. That, that temple that was made. Oh, that was in Rome. That was in Rome. That was in Rome. The uh, the Jupiter, the temple to Jupiter, was destroyed in 70 A.D. And so was the Jerusalem temple. Yeah, that's that's a historical fact. It almost confused me on before the artifacts that were taken from the temple, and that was in the time of Darius, right? Yeah. No, that was well, in the time of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Yeah, that was before Darius. And the Persians restored it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the, these things, during that time of 70 A.D., as far as that year goes, the 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 fighting the uh, the rebellion and the warring in Rome was pretty almost equal to what was happening in Jerusalem. Um, the uh, uh, Titus, of course, was uh, fighting the uh, war in Palestine and, and defeated the uh, the Jews, but his father was fighting for his life in Rome. Uh, against others that would, uh, Vespasian was his name, others that would unseat him. So turmoil was the name of the name of the game, that's for sure. Uh, we don't, yes. One, one thing to what I was saying, <clears throat> that if, verse 4, it talks about the end of time two or three times in that context. Mm -hmm. This is the end of time. Mm -hmm. And if that time has not come, and the north, the king of the north, and the king of the south have not done their work mm -hmm. and gone away, then neither has the Messiah come because he could not come until their work was done, which was the end of time. That's right. That's kind of clear. And, and if, we, if we got the history right of these kingdoms, I think we're pretty aware that they're not with us today. <laughs> So, I mean, all of these things work to, to show the real truth, doesn't it, yep. of the fact. These things have been fulfilled, and uh, as a matter of fact, all the way through Scripture, all the prophecies we have in Scripture, I believe, have been fulfilled. Now, there's looking ahead into the family of God and things said in a general way, but as far as the historical points, they have been fulfilled in scripture um, because God doesn't leave any loose ends there aren't any loose ends so we need to forget about the loose ends and all of this is leading us into in, in conclusion here we coming very very near to the last kingdom in these days 
Yeah. The north and the south have fallen. The Persians are gone. The Romans are in place. It's a mighty beast. But in those days, remember, that's when the, the stone cut without hands is, is cut out and becomes a, re, a reality, the kingdom of Christ. And that was the first vision, right? I and mean, that the first was in, recorded in Daniel. Yeah, that was in Daniel chapter 2. That kicks off. <clears throat> See, that's the tie-up that you can't get around. Yeah. That's it. And that's yeah. so important for us to understand that and for people that are Bible students to, to see that clearly. If, if that is something else, friends, then we need to know what else it is. But we can see our way very clearly to see that this indeed is the kingdom of Christ. And we're talking about the end of an age and the beginning of a new one. And we live in the, the new age. And, and not the new age of the, uh, of the human thinking, but the new age that God has promised in the kingdom of God. So we'll stop there and, and pick up again in the next chronology uh, rendering here in 535 B.C. in chapter 10. Uh, next week, Lord willing. Let us close this morning, unless there's any other comments. Thank you for your participation. Let us pray. <clears throat> we thank you, Father, for the not only the precision of your word, but the beauty of it, the fullness of it, where we have in, can stand, Father, with great confidence knowing that your word is truth and that your Son has told us so and shown us clearly. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.